You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com, part of the Paramount Podcast Network. I'm Mike Casaza, welcoming you in as we get ready to discuss West Virginia's Saturday night game. Saturday night, how about that? On the road against Texas on FS1. Here to help me out, Chris Anderson. Chris, let's start right there. A pair of 2-2 two and two programs, 0-1 in the Big 12. On a level of Iowa State to Kansas, how surprised are you this is a nighttime feature on FS1? Not really. Uh, I mean, so Iowa State. Yeah, like I I just think it's it's two names again. You like you look at it, you say, oh, they're both zero and one. They're uh, technically, I believe, they're ninth and tenth in the standings right now because Mm -hmm. both are zero and one, two and and two and two overall. Um, But they're they're still two big names in Big Twelve Conference football. I don't think that's going to change. I still think if you put Kansas and Whoever there, like outside of Texas and Oklahoma, this is going to draw more. Uh, uh, you know, look at look at the teams and try to find matchups that are going to draw the most eyeballs. West Virginia, Texas is near the top of the pairings in this league, so I think FS1 was eager to jump on that, even if both teams are two and two. I was talking to some media friends um, from a former life of mine, newspapers, about the Big Twelve this year, and. I had said in the conversation that like watching a Colin Klein offense have a quarterback rush for four touchdowns had me feeling all nostalgic about the 2012 season and back when the conference was so offensive and so fun because the quarterback play was high level but also diverse. Like different offenses were doing very different things, but very, very well. And then the point was made to me, yeah, but this league is just more fun when West Virginia's fun. It matters which hasn't happened very often, but when you look at some of the elite offensive years, certainly West Virginia had something to do with that. But like the years where they contended too, they had very good offenses or they won 10 games. Um, it's not been every year. And when West Virginia has been down, it's been, it's not just the offense, but it's in quarterback play. And that's before recent vintage West Virginia. But you look at what we're talking about this year, uh, I would say uh, maybe not a household name at quarterback, but certainly a name that people who know college football know also, offensive coordinator is a name of the same vein. People know Graham Harrell, if not as a coordinator, then probably as a player. I'm sure his exploits against and specifically at Texas will come up on TV this weekend. And again, we're turning back the clock a little bit. This this conference seems very wild offensively. And here's West Virginia at the bottom of the standings, but in the middle of the hype on offense. And that may be as much as anything else justifies that primetime spot. And on, on this same line of thinking and line of discussion here, I asked Chip Brown during our podcast, is this as deep of a Big 12 as you can mm-hmm. remember? Like We're nearing college playoff, football playoff elimination almost already, I think. I mean, realistic, I guess Kansas is still an option. Uh, Oklahoma State might be the best bet right now. Um, but is this as deep as a, a Big 12 as you can remember? Those early season teams at the bottom were, were not – great but man the the eight through one were pretty good back then yeah um, like remember baylor wasn't baylor baylor but like they had nick florence thrown for 600 yards of mountaineer field and they had an offense that could really go after the robert griffin years and they were on their way you could tell and that was like a middle of a pack lower third team 
Um, but the bottom was just kind of bleh. Um, if the bottom is Iowa State, which seems like a pretty capable team with a good coaching staff and just happens to be on a reset year, or if the bottom is, I don't know, is it is it could it be a West Virginia team? Could it be Texas Tech? Those are good offenses and looks like programs that are to some extent going or starting in the right direction. It's so hard to say that because it's such a, a big picture and a broad sample, but it's it's certainly a conversation to have, which as we get into the second month of the season, that's pretty fun. Yeah, it's still only four games. They've only played each other once, but just this past weekend, and you see what happened on the field, Tech beating Texas, Kansas State beating Oklahoma, and, and then combine that with the Big 12 success in non-conference play. Now, I, I don't remember if that changed with this past week, uh, but I know the Big 12 was, you know, I believe it was tops out of the Power Five conferences as far as out-of-conference wins or out-of-conference record. Um, and they had also played the most Power Five teams. And then since then, you know, West Virginia beat Virginia Tech. So add that to the mix. Um, pretty deep, pretty talented uh, Big 12. And, and I'm with you. I think if you are calling Tech or Iowa State or West Virginia the bottom of the league, be prepared for the the quote bottom of the league to get some wins today or this this season that are going to surprise you because I think all three of those teams are capable of winning basically any game left on the schedule. I mean, West Virginia is uh, it started as a ten point underdog for this game at Texas. Uh, lines already moved down into single digits. Uh, early money coming in on the Mountaineers, but that'll be the big unless something happens between now and, and you know during the rest of the season, injuries or whatever things just fall apart. This will probably be the biggest underdog West Virginia will be all season. I'm not sure they're going to be more than a touchdown underdog the rest of the way. Uh, you know, a couple of those other tougher games are going to be at home, which will keep that line down. But West Virginia should be in basically every game the rest of the year, which means you could win them all or lose them all. So it's going to be interesting. I have a lot of questions based on what you just said, and I'll get to them. But let me hit you with an over-under, not from the gambling point spread. Over-under. Okay. 56 years, the next time the WVU and Texas play. <laughs> That's what happened. They played in 1956, didn't play again until 2012, and this would appear to be the last time they're going to play as conference opponents. They're not going to schedule each other in a non-conference series. I'd be very, very surprised if that ever happened. Um, maybe a one-off game, but I don't know where, in, in, in Arkansas? I have no idea. I don't know. I'm... Well, I'll tell you, I think there. it's under because there's a lot there's a lot Bowls. more Big 12 SEC bowl matchups than I think there were, you know, Big East, Big 12 bowl matchups when West Virginia was in the Big East and Texas was in the Big 12. So I think it'll be under that. By the way, do do you know, maybe we should have discussed this beforehand, but what, what led to that one off game? Back in 19 and what was it 56? Yeah, 1956. Oh. Yeah, I have no idea. OK, because it's very, you know. Whenever I see these matchups that happen 20, 30 years before West Virginia entered the Big 12, you go and look at, oh, oh, it's a bowl game. Okay, that makes sense. Like, a, you know, the Peach Bowl, Citrus Bowl, whatever. This is a first week of October football game in, in Austin for some reason. Um, I don't know. Just a strange, strange matchup there. A couple of bowl games. That could do it, yeah. I can't see them ever ha having a non-conference. Um, no, and why would you, if you were West Virginia, and why would you, if you were Texas, go out of your way to try to schedule this as a non-conference game? Mm. Um, I'm reading a story, as I'm talking to you now, on the WV Sports homepage. I'm assuming this is by John Antonic. But essentially, the 1956 game, um, stung by the criticism it received for earning a bid to face Georgia Tech in the 1954 Sugar Bowl on the basis of its weak Southern Conference schedule, West Virginia made a concerted effort to upgrade as grid slates in the mid to late 50s. Now, granted, Western Reserve, Waynesburg, Geneva, Fordham. <laughs> uh, that's like a Baylor early 20, 2010, 2020 schedule. Uh, and then all of a sudden they get Texas, Florida, Miami, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Indiana, all those schools um, in that decade. So I guess what's past is prologue. The schedule wasn't good. Had to get better, and all of a sudden you end up beating Texas 7-6. We mentioned before, lots of memorable games in this rivalry. I think of the five games at Texas, four have been by four fewer points. Six of the ten in the Big 12, 11, 11, um, having one score game. So this could be the same here. And to be frank, Chris, I'll get back to this. I did not understand 11 points when it opened up. Um, I've 
mentioned this before, but like I had this little formula simulator that I run for point spreads and it kept coming out about five, five and a half for Texas, which I, I mean, that probably seems more like it, but that's half of what Las Vegas said. Vegas is smarter than me, has proven that repeatedly. Well, many years, not just this year. <laughs> Why do you think it was 11? And then even if it's shrunk, but it hasn't shrunk so much where it's come down to some like field goal or four point game as we've seen in the past between these two. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I think obviously w- when you look at these numbers, um, you get to that 11. The, the key the key number is 10. You know, when you when you think of spreads, it's like sevens and threes um, and that gets you up to 10 because everybody's scoring touchdowns and field goals. So you break over that 10. It's almost like Vegas is begging you, begging you to take WVU at plus 11, just begging you for it. And now this it's this doesn't happen very often. Like I know there's not people that don't really pay attention to gambling and I'm sorry, you know, but this is a very unique situation because those key numbers, those sevens, those threes, those zeros, very rarely does the line start one way swing back over that line and then go back and forth. But that's already what's happening. I mean, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. That's already happened in this game twice. Hmm. Um, it started at, uh, at plus 11, as you said, plus 10 and a half, some places it dropped down to nine and a half over on Caesars the other day. Then again, trying to prompt betting on Texas to, to since it's under 10, now you can try to get those people to bet 10 and now it's back up to 10 as we're speaking right now. So uh, something weird is going on. I'm not sure why the number was as high as it is. I mean, I get that Texas has, for the most part, and it's something you and I discussed on that Q&A podcast a couple of days ago, You know, they are much better at home than they are away. 150, I believe it was 150 more yards per game at home than away over the last year and a half, You know, since Sarkeesian took over, 100 fewer yards allowed per game since Sarkeesian took over. However, <clears throat> West Virginia is four and two in Austin. And we're not talking, you know, only when West Virginia is good and Texas is bad kind of things where they've taken advantage of that. There have been even matchups or even games where West Virginia was the underdog heading into Austin and has either kept it tight or won the game outright playing at Texas. So I'm shocked that it was 11. That seems very high. Hmm. Let's go over the Texas season, which is chef's kiss emoji <laughs> so far. Opens up Louisiana Monroe. I, I don't want to say underwhelming, but like it was 52 to 10 and like no one seemed terribly happy by what happened. But OK, you win by six touchdowns against a whatever Sunbelt team. Um, a good loss, I guess. Probably should have won that game. I think if you look back at it, but Alabama is Alabama. So, OK, that's kind of hard to say should have won it, but had a chance. And then they lost their way up into the top 25. Again, chef's kiss. Um, had, had what I think is a pretty good win against UTSA, 41 to 20. I think it's a decent program down there. That's, that, that, those kids in that team in UTSA are going to be up for that game and handle that one pretty comfortably. And then go to Texas Tech, controlling the game in the fourth quarter. <laughs> And just get kind of outperformed and outcoached and outplayed, and they lose in overtime. Um, win, loss, win, loss, up, down, up, down. And, and if that's not the Longhorns in the past, I mean, probably for as long as the WVU has been in the conference, I don't know what is. This just seems like the next year we just spun the calendar again, and here we are, same story with a different team. Let me ask you a quick question about that UTSA game. Mm-hmm. I, I did my snap judgments and actually accomplished rankings sure. and had the debate. Texas or West Virginia for the bottom, because um, right now they're both two and two. Um, I had Texas nine, West Virginia 10, because I said that Texas's win over UTSA was better than either of West Virginia's wins. True or false? Yeah. Okay. I, was, I, I felt like confident saying that, but I wanted to double check. UTSA is good. I, I have been accused lately of being extremely down on West Virginia by wildly downplaying Virginia Tech. Um, I, I, you recall right after the game on Thursday night, I played a little bit of a Debbie Downer pointing out that, you know, Tech sucked. Like, they were bad. They mm-hmm. were really bad. Um, and, and, I, and, and then I went on 
the Texas uh, podcast the other day and said, you know, I think West Virginia needs to be careful and not get too high off that win. It's a rivalry win. It was on the road. It gets things back on the right track. But Virginia Tech sucks. And that's just what they were in that game. Like they just they're a team that is transitioning uh, new coaching staff first year trying to figure out all the mess that was left behind by the previous coaching staff. So I don't blame them. I think Brent Pry is a great coach. I think he's going to turn it around. But they they have a lot of issues on that team. And I just don't think that's a quality win for West Virginia right now, even if it seems like it just because it's Virginia Tech. If you go back and you look at that UTSA box, um, again, I think that's a good program that's probably better than their record or whatever. But uh, Texas outgains them 459 to 408. They could not stop the run. Uh, 298 yards for Texas. Bijan Robinson, 183 on 20 carries. He averaged nine yards a carry. The team averaged uh, 8.3. But UTSA, nine for 16 on third down versus four for 11 for Texas. UTSA, 84 plays. Texas, 59. I will get back to that play margin because I think it could matter. Uh, 10 yards per completion. Um, three for four in the red zone, and they had the ball for 13 more minutes in Texas. So to get that win by 21 points, just because you had the best player and the better offense, and you made it work. I think it's pretty good work there too. So um, again, that's maybe not indicative of how that game should have gone. Look at the box score, but UTSA did good things as it has indicated there, but Texas just better, which kind of leads you to West Virginia because roster to roster. I don't think the gap is like UTSA to Texas, but there's a gap for sure. Um, can the Longhorns make it work? I don't know. Um, Let's begin here, Chris. Matchup, sides of the ball. Spare the special teams chatter. I'll save that for the fresh set. There are some angles again to look at. Uh, but let's see here. Where would you like to begin? Um, you've started researching your three keys. Don't give them all the way here, but some talking points to, to kick this off, so to speak. Well, I think it's maybe the most relevant, the most you've kind of, you alluded to it just there. And it's related to the play differential here, but something just an overall sense here for both teams then we'll then we'll turn focus to the texas side of things but neither team should take their foot off the gas pedal or feel comfortable if they get up if they get start getting a lead because steve sarkeesian since he took over a year and almost a year and a half ago uh texas has i believe it's nine losses four of those nine losses they have had a double-digit lead in the second half. That's wild. La- including last week against Texas Tech. Meanwhile, this West Virginia team, for this year, in four games, they have had, using ESPN's in-game win probability, a 90% or better chance of winning every single game at some point during the game. 90%. That's good. That's good. You want to be at that point. You don't want to be two and two when you have a 90% chance of winning every single one of those games. I mean, West Virginia fans watch those games, so they don't need me to rehash how that happened. So I'll turn to the UT side of things. Um, When talking with Chip Brown, he told me, you know, they, they just can't sustain drives in the second half. They couldn't sustain drives in the second half. It's an issue. They can't figure it out why they can't get the run going. And I went back and looked in those four games where Texas held a double-digit lead in the second half. After they had that double-digit lead for, I think, three of the four, they had a double-digit lead to begin the second half. One of them, they got the double-digit lead after they scored a touchdown on the first drive. So the drives after obtaining a double-digit lead averaged four plays for 17 yards. Mm. That's, I mean, obviously, that's not winning football. You know, if you cannot stay on the field, if you cannot give first downs, if you are basically going an entire half without scoring, without keeping the ball out of the other team's hands, they're going to come back. It's not complicated. And that's exactly what's happened in those games. Every time in those four losses, when Texas is up by double digits and they've ended up losing the game, it's because they can't maintain a drive, they can't run. The football, which is just stunning to say when you say in the same breath, this is all during the era of B. John Robinson. Yeah, who who should control the ball. Yeah. Um, they find ways to use him. It's great. Um, let's talk about middle portions of the game here because it does get into what you're talking about. They are outscoring teams 48-21 in the second quarter. And again, a good schedule. 
They're outscoring teams 45 to 13 in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. It's 93 to 34. That should be enough. Yeah. Like you should get in the locker room and then fix, adjust, be proactive. And they are. Uh, and they're only getting outscored 26 to 7. And again, a lot of this is undone by the two one sided games, I guess. 17 um, 3 in the third quarter against UTSA. So that has 14 points of the 31 point differential in the, second, in the third quarter. But um, I'm sure Louisiana Monroe, the damage is similar too. But they, they do have a pattern like that. And you look at like last year, similar spreads too, or at least ratios there. Uh, and I bring this up because West Virginia at least seems capable of probably how Neil Brown wants to play. Um, I don't want to say it's an automatic, but in his now nine years, eight years as a head coach, 15 and 0 when his team runs for 200 yards. Pretty good. Yeah. Indicative of something. Um, and then just some other things that, again, that's that means he's got the ball and he's running it. But, you know, when you score first, 37 and 10 in his career. Okay. A lot of games, but still 37 times you win. How about after the first quarter, 41 and seven after halftime, 44 and five. Yeah. So those middle 15 minutes there that we just talked about second quarter, third quarter, that's going to be key because Texas can get you there. And Neil Brown wants to get you there. If you can make it an advantage for you, if you can stay within striking distance, it's possible Texas will let up. And I'm pretty sure I saw this correctly. There's a post game locker room video from Texas Tech. And it's the head coach saying, I told you they would break. I told you they would break. Which is a heck of a thing to say to your team on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and to have it come true on Friday, Saturday, I'm sorry. Um, I, I would imagine a lot of the locker rooms are going to be watching that clip and taking it to heart. That's kind of wild, predicting it. Love it. I mean, but that's just that, that that a trend is emerging or has already emerged with that Texas team, especially in the second half. So it's not not surprising to me that Tech is going there out, especially with the new coach and and being aggressive. And because what were they? That was the other thing related here on the plays in the second half and all this stuff and controlling the ball. The six of eight on fourth down. I mean, just full on screw it. We're going for it. Kind of attack. Mm-hmm. That's something to. Uh, to uh, pocket away, uh, and I and I know I know because I was asked about it in the mailbag. Uh, Neil Brown, blah blah blah, not scared to go on fourth, whatever you want to say. West Virginia goes for it on fourth down more than most teams. Like I believe it was, and I put it in the mailbag, so the actual stats are in there. But it was one one year they were top twenty, one year they were top thirty five. I think last year they were number thirty three, and then they were also. 17th in conversion rate so they were not only going for it for more than most teams but they were converting more than most teams when mm-hmm. they were going for it which is a recipe for success so don't be surprised like it, when what uh, you know again that i think that why it was so shocking to me that they didn't go for it in that pit game so don't be surprised when west virginia goes for it moving forward and i don't think you can just tie it back to oh he learned his lesson no it, they've always gone for it almost always gone for it so I'm not surprised if West Virginia starts to be aggressive on those fourth down runs, especially if, you know, maybe they're behind by a little bit or even if they're up trying to hold on to that lead. Also, nine straight conversions on fourth down. Mm. Kind of a heater there. Roll the dice, six for eight. Texas Tech had to do it, but Texas Tech did it. Uh, let's go to the offense for Texas. Okay. Probably have to start with quarterback. Um, Listen, they, they did not say this yesterday, but I've seen it come out since. It doesn't matter who plays. It, I think their idea was that it does matter who plays. They're both going to be good quarterbacks, but I, I forgot last year. We saw Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, and they just didn't have it at quarterback. Uh, Thompson re-injured his thumb and went 4 for 14. He actually got benched twice in the game. Uh, Card came in, got hurt, and then... Thompson threw an interception when he came back into the game, and then all of a sudden the game was going West Virginia's way. Um, the difference between Card last year and this year is probably significant. The difference between Thompson last year and Quinn Ewers this year is probably even more significant. I think they're probably ready for one or the other to play, but again, we got in this a little bit. Ewers, probably a more threatening player. Card, less rusty, more comfortable, maybe less vulnerable to an injury or a re-injury. My point, though, Chris, easy to hand it off. The passing game, though, really has my attention. Um, Worthy might not be 100%. 
I'm assuming he plays, has not been a threat this year deep. And his thing is the deep ball. And they don't really stretch the field very much. You're looking at a tight end who's the number two receiver, and they're using B. John Robinson quite a bit in the passing game. What happened to the aerial attack here? Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. I'm not sure because because yours is a guy, when I look at you know, the, the the comment of it's no different from Neil Brown, more or less. I mean, yeah. I know he's speaking in generalities here uh, because it's a press conference, but yours is a guy who, I don't want to say he doesn't run, but he quite literally has not run during his, he only played a game and a half, but he literally has not run one. He has one quote attempt. That was a sack against Alabama. Um, has not run yet this season. Hudson card, more of a mobile quarterback. He was, I mean, he's not that he's not athletic enough to run, but that's never been his, his thing. And card is certainly more of a run, uh, a running threat than yours is, but yours is a much better passer in my opinion. I think he likes to throw it deeper a little more. He likes to attack. His arm talent is second to none. I mean, there's a reason he was one of the highest rated quarterback recruits ever. Um, there is a reason for that. Uh, so I think there is a difference, and I think it can change your game plan. But uh, I don't know if Card is going to be bringing in that deep ball that you're talking about. So if Card is out there, then that deep ball, I don't want to say it's off off the table, but it's less likely to strike than say if yours were out there. Cause I think yours, but what, what did we say on Monday? You, you pointed it out. Is it better that yours is out there? If he's coming with a sprained AC joint, little rusty, little hurt, like is the deep ball even going to be there for him? That was my point on Thompson last year. They played him and he was already hurt and he re hurt himself. He was four for 14 and he threw the game ending pick on a fourth down inside West Virginia territory, I think inside the 32. So um, kind of, again, here comes something that's a similar story here, too. Uh, Worthy targeted 14 times on deep balls this year. Three catches. Hmm. That's not worthy. That's not a plant words. That's not like a Xavier Worthy kind of performance there, too. Uh, and it hasn't been it hasn't been a thing that, you know, Ewers has the arm. No doubt about that. His deep numbers haven't been great. Um. Really good on play action. Really good on screens. Uh, when he's clean, he's fine. They don't pressure very much. When he's not blitz, he's great. Um, but when he tries to go deep, when he tries to spread the field, take some time, do something with it, just three for eight. And can he can he wind it up and let it go when he's going to be? I don't know I would say compromised. I guess in the torso, that would be something that would that would that would concern me too. Um, level of concern for Jatavian Sanders. Tight end, Chris. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not I, I don't know if how many more years I can do the tight end the tight end jokes. I don't know if I can anymore. Really athletic player. Um like one of those guys that looks like a high British kind of guy, but good player does some good things there too. Let's just skip to the lead, I guess. Uh the running back. Maybe the best running back, maybe one of the best players in the country. If the team is in there at the end, I don't know, pushing conference championship, he'll be there quite likely. In the Heisman conversation, I don't know. He has a chance to ring up some big numbers rushing and now receiving, too. They're using him all over the field now, too. Um, they've weaponized their best talent. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, currently leads the entire nation in missed tackles. Every single running back of, of any team, 131 different teams, he leads the nation in missed tackles forced uh, with 34 through four games. But that comes with a caveat 
not necessarily about him, but about why he's having to force so many missed tackles. I mean, you don't, you're not obviously making guys miss tackles if you're out in space. You're not making guys miss tackles if you have a wide open running lane. The reason he has so many missed tackles, one, is because he's good and he can do that. He can break tackles and he's fast enough and still shifty enough to make guys simply miss big enough that he will break arm tackles. But there are guys in position to try to make those tackles because the Longhorns, according to Pro Football Focus, rank 119th out of 130 teams in run blocking this year. Their offensive line, as as decent as they've been in, in pass protection, have not cleared the lanes for Robinson like they have in years past, and that's forcing Robinson to do even more work than he already does. One of the best, like, second, third move guys I've seen in a long time. Yeah. Like, his first move, fine, whatever, but, like, his way out of, out of trouble, his way out of contact is, that's a unique skill, and that's going to be transferable to the next level. Something else to watch, too, as it relates to the quarterback position at Robinson. They have run a lot of Wildcat this year. Um, they have put Roshan Johnson at quarterback. They've used Robinson. They'll put in a six offensive lineman. They're going with, like, two running back, three tight ends, Chris. Um, it hasn't been terribly effective. It blew up spectacularly on a failed fourth down against Texas Tech, but they are committed to it. They've done it every game, and West Virginia is on guard for that. Johnson's a good player, um, has been there for a while, a program guy who does a lot. He can catch it. He's a converted quarterback who's playing running back. He's on special teams. So he'll probably end up in the NFL on a roster just because he can do so many things and maybe a guy that you just see pop up and do something one day because he's just valuable and he hangs around. Um, is it a gimmick to cover up maybe some deficiencies or to maximize the strength of the running game? And then given what West Virginia could not do, in a triple option running game or running quarterback game against Kansas, uh, would that be something you expect to see, whether because of Texas or because of West Virginia Saturday night? Both. I mean, I think I think it is kind of a gimmick because to cover up their deficiencies. I mean, they're having trouble run blocking, and if you go into a Wildcat formation, that then provides you with one extra blocker or one extra runner than you would if you had a quarterback back there. You know, obviously quarterback hands it off and then gets out of the way. If you just snap it directly to the running back, you have an extra blocker, possibly. Um, and then, of course, on the flip, West Virginia struggled with the Kansas stuff. All, all the motion, all the three three guys in the backfield, guys moving left to right, going to different spots, and, and, and that could cause some issues. If they go into a wildcat and start motioning and have two or three running backs back there, it, West Virginia is going to have to be on top of their game to try to to snuff that out on defense. Worries me a little bit, I think, if you're Jordan Leslie. Um, they got into this last year because their quarterback situation was a mess. Uh, Card was hurt. Thompson was hurt. They had to figure out something to do. They put it in. Uh, I think West Virginia was the second to last game. I don't remember seeing it. So put it in in the final game of the regular season. Um, averaged more than seven yards a carry. So far, 5.4 yards this season, excluding... A 78-yard touchdown run by Bijan Robinson. So Robinson took a handoff from Johnson in the Wildcat against UTSA, ran 78 yards. That's going to plump the stats a little bit. You take that away, the many times they've run it since then, almost five and a half yards of carry. So it's effective. Is it a short yard? It's a goal line situation? Probably. And then you always worry about Johnson, who's only thrown one pass out of it. Uh, it's a converted quarterback. Could he do something like that? We'll see. you got to keep your eyes on that. And again, West Virginia shifting, pre-snap adjustments, identification, that Wildcat you kind of have to put somebody on the quarterback if you're not careful, and all of a sudden the assignments change, the responsibilities change, and that's that could be a situation where you kind of get spread out, exposed, and a little thing turns into something big. Flip sides of the ball, um, really big defensive line, Chris. I guess we'll start there. West Virginia's offensive line, I don't know. Maybe Tech was the best game it's played in quite some time, maybe the entire Neil Brown era. I'm not an encyclopedia of knowledge like that, but – I know that that was a concern that a lot of people had going into the game. How could the Virginia Tech front and pressure affect the running game? The pass protection did not. Um, right tackle play has been okay. Uh, neither Brandon Yates nor Jaquay Hubbard has given up a sack. Neither has given up a pressure last game. Um, that's holding together. They may get Jordan White back. Uh, I'm going to predict here that the size, strength, and depth in particular of Texas, maybe on a warm evening against West Virginia's Evolving, developing offensive line, that is a key matchup. 
Looking at the Big 12, um, front seven pressures, defensive linemen, edge rushers, linebackers, the average for the other nine teams in the league, not Texas, 56. Texas, 109. Um, second best in the league is Baylor at 74. Wow. Now, if you uh, if you don't necessarily take, you know, PFF position things at face value, which I don't because, I mean, they do not include Linnell Carr and Jared Bartlett in the front seven, which I think it's safe to say they are part of the front seven majority of the time. You mean cornerback Linnell Carr? Correct. Um, we'll go with total pressures, just the entire defense. The average in the Big 12, not counting Texas, 61. Uh, Baylor is second with 84, and Texas has 117. So just regard whichever way you want to look at it, Texas is so far ahead of everybody else in the Big 12 in pressures on the quarterback that it, it's hard to really even put it. Like you know, if a mathematician looked at this, they would say this this series of Numbers don't make sense. They are so far ahead of everybody else because everybody else is kind of bunched in the middle there uh, other than West Virginia, um, uh, which I guess we can discuss another time. They were dead last in both categories. Uh, Around 45, I think it was, for total pressures. Uh, Most of the teams in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and then all of a sudden you got Texas, just a wild outlier way up there, always getting to the quarterback. They have two really, really good interior defensive linemen that they're going to have to keep their hands on or they'll have their hands full, I guess. I apologize. Uh, Keandre Coburn and Byron Murphy are two, I would say, of the top guys they're going to see on the inside line. Murphy's an excellent run defender, and uh, I'm trying to find the right, stat right now. Yeah, for run stops, which is a play where a guy just wins and it's a minimal gain or a loss, he has 10. For an interior defensive lineman, too. That's a big number there. And Coburn's just a big kid that's that's been a talent for a while and knows what he's doing. Um, and by the way, Tavondre Sweat is still there. That guy's been a the West Virginia side, I, I swear, since the Holgerson era, right? Yeah. Um, so they they have players. They run in. I think Brown said they play, what, what do you say, seven, six, seven defensive tackles. Most teams have maybe three or four. They're going twice as deep. And, and again, that's going to be something there, too, which – is kind of encouraging because West Virginia did stretch some runs out wide with Justin Johnson, did some outside zone stuff, um, or maybe just went, went out there because he's able to use his eyes and extend plays too. But uh, I don't know if you attack that and try to soften it. That might invite in some of their depth, but maybe testing their depth isn't the same. Uh, not quite as formidable on the edges with their run stops, but they don't really have to be. Um, and then they have Demarion Overshawn, that middle linebacker who swoops in and makes a bunch of plays um, in the run game too. He's pretty good at using the – I would say the 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 clutter in front of him to clean up his plays, uh, a really nice safety net to have in the run game, too. They have a good front. That's going to be a matchup there they have to watch out for. It. You know what helps, Mike? The fact Come. that uh, I have found the elusive Texas depth chart. Uh, we'll note that I, I can't seem to find any depth chart released for individual games as the, seasons have gone, as the season has gone along. Mm. But I did find the one that they released before the season opener. They have 13 starters listed on... They're de- on their defense. That's the home cooking for Texas. <laughs> 13. You get to play 13 guys. Nah, but I think they, you know, they put 13. I think West Virginia maybe does 12 for offense. Cause obviously, you know, you can't play four wide receivers and a running back and a tight end. So I think West Virginia does that too. And, and Texas does that as well with, they got a Jack, two different, two different defensive tackles, a, also a nose tackle and also a buck, which is like a defensive end. Mm. And then three linebackers, and five players in the secondary. So, yeah, all of a sudden we're running a 5-3-5 here for Texas. Seems unfair. <laughs> yes, it does. Slightly better than the 5-1-5 we saw against Virginia Tech last week, right? That's right. Mm. Um, secondary for Texas. West Virginia's receivers um, have seen good play out of Caden Brather. Three straight, three straight games with six catches. Uh, Virginia Tech put a lot of focus on Bryce Ford-Wheaton. You no, know, Brown said he could have played better. He could have been more effective getting open, but 20 for 30 for JT Daniels. He spread the ball around, hit a big play to Sam James when he had to. Uh, Texas has obviously let teams get back in the games and throw the ball this season, um, or in the past, I guess, too, with throwing the ball. But they have good players back there, too. Some familiar names, a cornerback and secondary. Uh, who or what has to emerge here for either side? So this is going to be one of my three keys, sneak peek here. Um, 
West Virginia is going to have to essentially avoid throwing to uh, Jamison, the mm-hmm. Texas cornerback, who this year, when targeted, opposing teams have completed only 7 of 14 passes, have an interception, and three pass breakups with a 35.1 NFL quarterback rating. When you target the other corners, which is the opposite the opposite cornerback plus, I think they call it a spur, which is, again, one of those 13 starters they have. Yeah, a spur, which, again, is like a, a slot corner kind of type. Um, those guys combined tw- have allowed a combined 25 of 34 with two touchdowns. When guys throw to Watts, who is the uh, opposite corner, or is he spur? Yeah, opposite corner, 113.4 NFL yeah. quarterback rating. Um it's obviously a drastic difference between which side you're throwing to here. And Jamison does, at least according to what I'm looking at here, uh, flip sides of the field. Um, he, he plays left, he plays right. So West Virginia is going to have to find those matchups and, and try to exploit them. And, I mean, that, that's that's one of the perks of having an excellent cornerback. You can shut down an entire side of the field. And I don't want to go so far as to say Jamison shuts down an entire side of the field, but so far this season he has. Concerned at all by Ford Wheaton's game against Tech. That's the first time where he's had the the arrow pointed over him, and they said, no, you're not beating us. And and he was quiet. And, you know, we say, okay, 20 for 30 for a touchdown for JT Dams, but 30 passes, 20 completions, 200 yards. And you're not going to see a lot of uh, – you're not going to see a lot of man-to-man out of Texas, too. They play mostly zone, it looks like, too, from their from their the tapes and, and the PFF stuff, too. But could that be a situation where he does get open against zone? Is he a man-beater? I'm not sure, but um, – I don't know. Does does that alarm you at all? The fact that a team did sit out and say, you know what? Saw three games on film. This isn't going to happen to us. Slightly. I also think, you know, again, it it concerns me because, and it, this was an issue. First, let me say, he got targeted half the time, half as many times against Tech yeah. as he did against, say, Pittsburgh and Kansas. So I think part of it is to um, Virginia Tech, I'll say Tech, but we got too many Techs playing this year. Um, like you said, put a target on him and put that safety, slid that safety over top for extra help and just said, uh-uh. And JT Daniels in West Virginia said, okay, we'll go somewhere else. And, and that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. And, and West Virginia made him pay when they did that. But it's it's been something that would concern me from the very first game, even when I said, you know, even when Bryce Ford Wheaton had a very good game against Pittsburgh, he had a very good game against Kansas – but so many of his catches, so many of his targets are in traffic, are with tight coverage. And yeah, that's great that he can make those catches with guys in and around and on him. But why are guys in and around and on him? The point of being a wide receiver for the most part on most plays, not all plays, is to get separation. And I was concerned that he was not getting enough separation for that to be a consistent long-term success of catching the ball all that time. Because eventually, when you have guys draped all over you, you're not going to catch it as often as Bryce Ford Wheaton was the first two weeks. And, and it's really fallen off since then. So that's concerning to me, because not because you know he had one bad game, but because he's got to start getting separation here. Yeah, uh, 12 contested targets, 8 contested catches. Yep. That's really good work. One contested target, no contested catches the last two games. Yeah. And you're going to see a lot of zone against Tech. Like, they're not going to put in the man-to-man – or Texas, you're not going to put him in man-to-man situations. That's just the way that they played. Um, now, can you get open against zone? Sure. Can you be contested against zone? Sure. But you're looking at a guy, a guy who caught, like, a lot of back shoulder stuff, fades, um, you know, stuff where he just had to get it on third and short, and he ran a square in, or he ran it out, and it was man coverage in those situations. And – I don't know. It feels like he can make the uh, he he can make the ten foot butt, but he can't make the ten inch butt. I don't know if that's a fair um, a fair analysis right now or a fair comparison right now. But the hard stuff he's been good at, and when teams haven't been quite as aggressive on him, maybe there's other options. Maybe that the the defender has an eyeball on the quarterback and an eyeball on the receiver, and it's a better um, a better situation for the defense. But that's a guy that they were able to play and win without. But let's not pretend that the offense was dynamic never mind that the air attack was dynamic against Virginia Tech you got a defensive touchdown there 
uh, really ran the ball exceptionally against a defense that was not accustomed to that. Can they do that Saturday against Texas? We'll see. Um, again, the hundred, the 200 yards thing, the time of possession, the play differential, that's been on West Virginia's side. It's been a strength of their of their game plan and their execution so far. And Texas has allowed time of possession gap and a play differential gap because various reasons. We'll see. And can West Virginia create and exploit one of those reasons? Don't know, but I would think of the passing game. And in particular, number zero is probably going to have to make some plays to make that matter because my hunch is he'll probably draw James in a good amount of time. Yeah, that'd be a pretty smart move by by Texas. I think you, again, you can feel him out. I'm not sure if he's a he, he's a, a field and boundary type corner switching back and forth like that, or if he follows guys. I have to review that before the game on Saturday. But if they could switch him around and get the right matchups, that could again force West Virginia to just say, okay, fine, we'll go somewhere else. Which, if you as you noted, West Virginia's passing game wasn't exactly high flying against uh, Virginia Tech, but they, they did find some success with throwing it to Prather. Uh, I got your answer, Chris. Jameson is about 100 snaps on the left, 75 snaps on the right. So he's a field boundary guy, I would imagine. Okay. But West Virginia is – they can move Fort Wheaton around too. He's played the slot. They put two receivers on the right. He's not just a left sideline guy. So um, one of the things that Jordan Leslie talked about that I found to be very interesting was when discussing Steve Sarkeesian as a play caller, I wonder what's the magic? Do you just call a play you never heard of before? You're not calling plays you haven't seen on film. You know, you're, you're going to run plays at your practice, and you're going to have on film – in a game, what you practice, and you're really only going to study about four or five games because you're not going to change so much. You can't spend time putting in new stuff. You want to rehearse stuff if you're an offense. So Jordan Leslie goes back and looks. He's going to see the same plays, but he's going to see guys getting open and, and people running free in space. How does it happen? And he said the Sarkeesian is really good about moving his players around and, and hiding the weapon. Can they do that with Ford Whedon? We'll see. They don't do a lot of pre-snap stuff that's like shifting and very exotic like Kansas or maybe even like Texas on Saturday, but that's the guy you'd like to get going because he can make plays. And when you look at the history of West Virginia winning some of these big games at Texas, it's guys like Sills and Jennings and um, Stephen Bailey and Tavon Austin making big plays and getting getting into space and getting motioned or formationed into an advantageous situation. And they have some players who, who they can do that with an offense. It would be interesting to see how they make that happen. All right. I have one more thing I want to finish with, Mike. And I asked our Texas site this. And we disagreed wildly. By the way, we've been talking. Was it twenty minutes ago where I first brought up the spread? It's back mm. down. It's down to nine and a half now. So it's a lot of funny stuff going on right here. But I'm more focused on the score, and and this doesn't have to be a gambling thing. This is just a general question because we seem to disagree—not you and I, but myself and Chip—about how this game is going to play out. So you're going to be our tiebreaker. Do you think, again, the over-under was set at about 60. Right now it's at 62. I think it opened around 60, 61. Is this a high-scoring game between both teams, or is this one of those games where it's, what was it, 1913 last time they were in Austin? Yeah, I see points. Okay, say, all right, good. All right. Chip's wrong. That's easy. Done. I see points. That's what I said. I thought this seemed to me like a, a, a 38, 35, 42, 30, 35 kind of game. As we're sitting here talking and I'm thinking about our Bryce Ford Wigan conversation, mm-hmm. I did pull up the PFF numbers. 17 of his catches are against zone. That's shocking to me. And six of his contested catches and six of his contested targets are against zone. So targeted in zone, contested, it's an easier catch, I guess. So you're talking two for six contested catches versus contested targets in man. Um, I wonder if you can test him more. Um the success against zone is going to be up. And now you can play zone, you can play tight. It'll be interesting to see what they do with him because, again, that's a guy that you want to get going in. Prather's good, but you really have to have that balance on both sides. You don't want one safety shift and, and, and creating an advantage to the defense there. Um, as I'm also sitting here thinking, I might just edit that part out of the podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're supposed to do, right? Make it seem like we know what we're talking about more? Yep. Uh, three catches, 12 targets in man-to-man coverage for Bryce Ford Wheaton. So there is some truth to that. Yep. But he has seen a lot of zone. He's been good, but again, he's going to see a lot of zone and probably some of Jameson on Saturday night. Chris, preview the rest of the week for us as we head toward the 7.30 kickoff on FS1. Uh, we got some recruiting updates on there. Uh, we'll have three keys. We'll have charity bets. We'll have a couple videos from 
interviews with the players and coaches and Neil Brown. Uh, I know you have a couple stories coming up. Um, going to be the usual, you know, getting trying to get accustomed to this whole night game. This is four night games in five weeks for West Virginia now. Um, yeah. So the the Saturday, you know, usually when you have those so used to noon <clears throat> noon Saturday games that uh, you just wake up Saturday morning and it's hey start the game thread. So now we've now we're being forced into more work, Michael, and I don't much care for it because um, we're having to add some extra stories in to to get you up to kickoff on seven thirty. So be sure to check us out every single day this week and Saturday, including right up until kickoff. Well, I got news for you, Chris. Uh, the following game is going to be a night game. There's a pretty good chance that I think Tech and West Virginia could be a night game. <laughs> I think the lock of the year is that Oklahoma against West Virginia is going to be a night game. And then I wouldn't be surprised if I think the schedule is is pretty favorable for West Virginia, Oklahoma State. But I would say there's probably of the eight games left, I would say <laughs> at least three, maybe four are going to be night games. So will everybody swing back in the other direction now after complaining for the last couple of years about never getting night games? Do you think there'll be a, a pushback, a blowback, and say, eh, how about some more noon games? Those were nice. I'll be up front. I'll be up front. <laughs> I'll have the, the sandwich board and the megaphone outside the mountain lair. As long as we don't do the 3.30 games, those are, as I've said before, my least favorite kickoff times. No Gus Johnson on this one, though. I was thinking FS1, Gary Jennings... Fox, right? Maybe but mm-hmm. it's going to be um, Brando and I forget who else, but do with that what you want. Yep. We got you covered before, during, and after. And now we got you prepared for West Virginia against Texas, maybe the last time. We'll see. Hopefully it's not another 56 years. We'll be back certainly less than 56 years from now. I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Talk to you next time. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher. No. Funnier. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!